if you were to just stand up even a basic Slack community. Now there's an easier way for you to reach out to them, more of a a one-to-one connection for you to send these surveys out into the community. You're listening to Content Logistics, a podcast for B2B marketers looking to build a content engine that drives revenue. In each episode, Camille Trent interviews the marketers behind the best content marketing flywheels and uncovers the tactical aspects of content production from first draft to first customer. Hello and welcome to Content Logistics. I'm your host, Camille Trent. And this episode, as well as all of our episodes, are brought to you by Tristan and Justin over at Motion. So Motion is a full-stack B2B podcasting agency for marketers like myself and like you looking to launch a podcast kind of like this one. So if you enjoy this podcast, if you like the production quality, they have done a fantastic job in all of the post-production work, making it really easy for me to just sit down and record like I did tonight, just at midnight, just opened it up, started talking, and I'm just going to upload this to to a portal and they're, they'll basically take care of everything else. They will distribute it to different sites so it's easy to, to access, easy for people to find. They will cut up the clips. They helped at the beginning with some of the strategy and positioning. So if you are looking to launch podcast or really just upgrade the ones that you currently have, maybe take it to another level. Highly recommend to give them a call. Today's episode is a solo episode. You probably gathered that when I said that I was recording this around midnight, but no one was available to to talk to me right now. So I started rambling on about the five levels of research content. So I essentially think there's a hierarchy for different styles of research content you can do for B2B content marketing, specifically for SaaS. And in this episode, I'm going to walk you through those. So here's the thing. I've been slacking. I've been slacking on this podcast. I'm sorry. A responsible adult would take responsibility for these actions, but I am going to blame like 90% of it on being pregnant. So there's the news. We are expecting our second kid in August. Pretty excited about it. I'm also extremely tired just all the time. Super tired. But I had this idea the other day, finally had a good breakthrough idea that I felt was worth sharing with you guys after an interview. So a friend reached out the other day, they wanted to interview me for an article they were writing, wanted to know about just how I thought about the research content that we do at Peer Signal, And it got me thinking about research content that I've done at, at past places as well. And honestly, huge props to, to Adam because he, he started the like research sort of flywheel or research approach that we have at Peer Signal, and it opened up a lot more, I think, possibilities for what you can do in this arena. But anyways, I jotted down the different types and I realized there's kind of a good basic framework here that I think is worth sharing. So today I'll walk through the five levels of research content as they apply to B2B SaaS. So a good prereq for this episode, if you're not fully invested yet, hopefully you are, but if you're not fully invested, you can go back and listen to my episode with Erin. She goes deep into how she thinks about industry reports, 
the, the planning process, just everything you need to kind of turn that into a B2B content playbook for your arsenal. So go check out Aaron's episode. You can do it now. Just abandon this one or you know, post listen if you're thinking about, you know, research content and you want to do more around this. I highly recommend her episode and her in general. Give her a follow. All right. So here's sort of the five things. And I'll try and be very efficient about this. So number one, when I think about levels, like what's just like the bare minimum, <laughs> like the bare minimum when I think about research content and I would barely call this research content. I'd call it more curation, if anything. But I think that there are some benefits to it. I just think that it's super competitive now to do well. So I call this uh, like roundup research. So you've seen the 53 shocking outbound email stat pieces. You've seen like those types of articles. And in fact, if you look at, if you type in right now, like best cold calling stats, you'll see a SERP of basically that same exact headline for the top 10 results and maybe slightly different number, 50, 30. So you're all kind of competing over the same thing and you all pretty much have like the same roundup of, of data. I think there's huge saturation here for SEO, which makes it, you know, less worth it to try and pursue as, you know, one of your first things in content. But I do think it's a useful exercise if you stay in your lane, and I'll get into that in a second. And if you archive like some of the best stats and some of the, like the best insights there for messaging that you can then use in sales enablement, and you can use on social. So as long as you're like repackaging some of the roundup stats that you're getting there, and you're building a narrative around it, or really like the things that you choose to, to post about, the things that you tr choose to curate should come from your narrative, like what you're trying to accomplish, right? Um, the story that you're trying to tell with your product. So as long as you stay in your lane in that way, where let's say you are a sales email tool, then you're probably going to want to prioritize, you know, the best stats around sales emails. And maybe you kind of play a little bit in sales enablement category, maybe even like ABM or something. There's like a, ba a bajillion different like sales tech categories. And so I've seen different brands try and just capture all of them, but it needs to really like relate with what do you do best? What is your problems does your product help solve? And I think when you focus on those things first, like before you get to like shiny object syndrome, it's like, well, let's do all of the sales stat pieces for all of the things, all of the high volume keywords. That's like the worst way to approach it. And trust me, I've done, I've done a little bit of both. So, so I can see the appeal to both, but I think starting with what you're do the best, what your product can actually deliver on. Like starting with those market questions that your product helps answer will help solidify the narrative that you're trying to drive anyways. So roundup research, it's kind of the bare minimum. It's kind of just level one, but I do think it's useful 
to one, understand your market, understand your product, like just getting in there and like familiarizing yourself with some of the, the talking points around the problems that you solve will help you, I think, with positioning. It will help you with product marketing. It'll help you just exercise like that research like side of your brain and do more research content, even if this is more curation than anything else. And then on top of that, I think archiving, yes, yeah, some of the better stats, some of the more recent things, some of the things that are good hooks for the story that uh, you're trying to tell with your product, right? That really emphasize the problem that you're solving. If you kind of save some of those and turn them into some, you know, sales enablement pieces or email snippets, I guess, like a kind of a sales kit, I guess, for, for salespeople to sort of like pick out this and that for them to use in their own sequences that can work. And then I think you can recycle some of the, the best stuff for social as well. Like I, I've had some success doing this by not only organic social, but paid social where you kind of take like some of those stats that also act as hooks, right? It's like, did you know type stuff, right? So just bring awareness to the problem that your product solves. So that's the case for Roundup research. Again, it's level one, but I think there are reasons to do it. All right, number two is just their survey, or you could think about this as your classic industry report, right? And again, like Erin is the master at this. She does a very comprehensive job here and not only that, like turns it into a flywheel. And so like level one, if you can just get more, like squeeze more juice out of the content, that's what's gonna separate like unsuccessful or low leverage content projects from high leverage, right? So always think about how can I get more from this, right? If I'm gonna put in a month for this project, if I'm gonna put in two months for this project, like how can I make it worth that, right? How can I get that much pipeline out of it? So, but I think some keys with survey for me though are, don't just make it a quantitative survey. Like don't, don't make it a, a multiple choice for everything. I think adding in a couple qualitative questions in there, even if you just bring those to a few experts, right? Of like, who do you trust the most or who, really who does your audience trust the most to give commentary on what's happening in the market, right? So get some industry expert quotes that you can add into the, the survey. And I think for something like SaaS, getting those from your customers can be compelling, right? You kind of know like what their point of view on these things are and you know how they're solving it. So they're using your product, right? So asking your customers to participate in this, I think also helps strengthen community and we'll get to that in a bit. But go to customers, you can go to your internal team. You probably have someone who is considered an industry expert on your team, right? Otherwise, why did you build the products that you did, right? Someone was, someone was passionate about it. Someone saw the need in the market. So you probably have some sort of expert on your own team that can also give commentary that sort of like fits, fits your worldview to go, to go into these reports, right? So there's those. And then you have the, the quantitative that is more of the multiple choice, like type questions, right? But the important thing here, again, is your product, whatever you're selling, 
is predicated on a market theory, right? You think something is missing or broken in the market. And so it's important to kind of work backward from that and ask the right questions that can either validate your theory or like completely debunk it. Either way, you want to understand how does your audience or who you think is your audience, how do they think about that problem? Do they consider it a problem? Do they consider it a big problem? Is it not a problem at all? Like all of this can also just be thought of as product market research, right? Oftentimes like those, those start as surveys. So try and think of yourself as a, as a third party, as a researcher first, but also know like what your, what question am I trying to answer? <laughs> what questions does, does our audience think are interesting? What do they want to hear from their peers? So think about all those things as you're developing the survey. All right. So level three now, so you have, you have the roundup stats that you can do, right? You can just gather the information that already exists out in the world and you can package it together and you can do that the best. If you can do that the best, then you can sort of maybe still rise to the top in searches or you can, you know, be savvy on social and be able to sort of like deliver this research that's already available to everyone, but package it in a way that you kind of get credit for it. And then survey is primary research, right? So so now we're talking about research that you can really own. And that's an, important to this because this is not commodity content so much. This is something that uh, is, this is more of a, a professional venture here. And so you have survey, but then how can you elevate that? How can you like get more out of that marketing tactic? And so I think about adding community onto this. So this next one is just, I think about is community plus survey, right? Or community led research. You could think about it that way. I think a great example of this is Databox. So in talking to in talking to members of their team, especially John, who was leading their their marketing team for a long time, I just decided to go out on his own. So props to John. He talked about how they first got started. And the thing that stood out to me was they started with the small community that they already had, right? What do you have right now as a SaaS company? You have a handful of customers if you're an early stage startup, right? So you have, you have a customer base of some sort. Maybe you have some investors, you have some friendlies, right? Maybe you've done some partnerships. So those are some, those are relationships where there's probably some commonality. There's probably some overlap of interest. And so you can go to those people and you can ask them for those industry quotes. You can probably more easily get interviews from those people that can help with these industry reports and that can help with really any type of blog or any type of question that you're trying to ask, right? And so constantly asking your community, whatever that looks like for you right now, could just be some followers on your social platforms, right? Or people that are already using your product, right? Or people that are using your free product, like just start asking your base and think about that as the content marketing's CRM. And then think about having a goal like of how can we expand this community? And it makes sense, I think, for content to kind of partially or co-own community in that way. Because it's like, how can we create a flywheel effect here? And so anyways, 
Databox started with their customers and they sort of branched out. And then anytime that they would cover a topic, they would identify, you know, a handful of additional experts that they could reach out to. And then they'd kind of add those to their de- database of people that they could re- reach out to next time for the content research. And, you know, people that were more responsive, they're more likely to reach out to next time. And and then those people would get backlinks. They're just more likely to do it. So it just turned into this nice, this nice flywheel effect. And and now I think it's notable that they have more of a, a formal community set up. They have something like a podcast and other companies, maybe even data box, I'm not sure, have Slack communities to go on top of this, right? So if you're building out some sort of email list, right? It can just be as basic as an email list. Now you have a bunch of people who you're talking to regularly, you're asking advice for, and they're probably going to be more likely to join something like a formal community if you were to just stand up even a basic Slack community. Now there's an easier way for you to reach out to them, more of a a one-to-one connection for you to send these surveys out into the community. And they might have more visibility into, you know, how other people are answering if, if you do things like polls, right? If you have a, a community platform that allows for things like like polls and research, or if you do an event-led strategy, now you can take some of those, those polls and that becomes part of the research and you just kind of like build this, this machine. So that step above just pure report content is like, is this sort of like community led version of that where you can just like constantly be learning from, from the community and you can turn those into, you know, more official polls and research. Right. So I think there's, there's that. I will say that there's a caveat here of with this one, you may be, you know, sacrificing some of the integrity of the research. Like you might not be able to do like a, a full, you know, unbiased industry report in the same way that you might be if you hired a PR company to to run the survey for you. But I think if you're just thinking about it in terms of how can I just constantly daily be uh, learning about my audience, right? And have two-way conversations with them, then I think adding community in here makes a lot of sense, especially for qualitative research, right? Because you can do those one-on-one interviews and you have more people that are willing to talk to you. So thinking about building up a CRM of contacts, both people that you can reach out to for interviews, and then also people who you know are most likely to take a survey. You can vet people out too. You can make these more legitimate by you know, asking qualification questions of what industry are you in? What's your job title? How long have you been in that? You know, what's your, what's your level in the company? How many people are at that company? So if you need qualifications for the type of research that you're doing, right? If you want this to be reflective of only VP level people, then you can ask those weed out questions in your survey as well. So that would be another way to make sure that it's unbiased. That's number three. I feel like I went a little bit long-winded there. So number four is basically people hate surveys. (laughs) Like I know I just was preaching about how this makes for good research, but how do you get people to, to take the surveys? You think about what people love. Okay. Well, my banner just fell down from my decoration that just 
proves how lazy I am because I used tape to hang them up instead of tacks. So if you're watching on YouTube, I knew that was going to happen sometime in this video. All right. Anyways, back to this. Yeah. People ultimately do not like taking surveys and get asked a ton. And there's a reason that now we have to bribe people with gift cards and things like that to just, to just take the surveys in the first place. And so I think what a few smart companies understand or start to understand is what people do love is quizzes, right? So how can you sort of like gamify the survey taking process, the research vehicle? And I think that's why Buzzfeed back in the day was so successful. I think that's why certain e-com brands are or see a lot of success with product recommendation quizzes, right? Like where you just have to take basically a personality quiz or a behavioral type quiz of like to figure out what type of shampoo you should buy, right? And so it's it feels fun. It feels like you're getting something at the end, right? And it's usually very short. It doesn't take a lot of brain power to do a quiz, whereas surveys can feel like a chore. So essentially it's, it's the packaging, right? And so what you can do is kind of combine like all of those other things that I talked about at the beginning of you can probably do some secondary research, figure out what the benchmarks are, you know, for your industry of what's, what's good, better, best, right? In terms of email deliverability or in terms of sales productivity, right? You, there's already some data out there. And so you kind of can use that as, as a baseline to be able to do the scoring and do like the bucketing of questions, right? So you might have, you know, a chapter, like two or three or four different chapters to kind of understand, you know, if it's, if it's sales productivity, right? What's, how much time are you spending on certain things? You know, what is the structure of your org? You might have different like chapters within the, the quiz and then you might be graded for each of those chapters and then you'll take all of those numbers and you'll average them up and that'll be your your total score and you'll get like a b minus or something so you can basically take secondary research use that to kind of create like the framework of how you're going to grade these quizzes right the master key and yeah and then bucket bucket questions in ways that that make sense so there's different sort of like themes to it and they're getting something at the end. It's like you're able to kind of like analyze their behavior or, or what they say is like, is their behavior for a certain thing and, you know, how their current team manages their workload or whatever. And you can give them a grade for that based on benchmarks that then that's like the free data that's out there right now. And so now I'm getting something at the end. I'm like, okay, now I understand how I stack up in comparison to other companies and slash, or you could promise like, Hey, thanks for taking this survey. We'll let you know in a week or two, like once all of the results are in how you stack up, right? So there could be a delayed gratification part as well. I've done something like this in the past and I think the best is a blend, right? You say, okay, based on the industry benchmark data that's out there, you rank, you know, in the 
56 percentile, right? Based on your inputs. But then you take all the data that you got from those quizzes. And let's say that you sort of turn off the quiz after 500 and people can still take the quiz, right? But you're taking the sample size of the first 500, let's say, and you're running an analysis on that. And even if you don't have, you know, an analyst or a, a good just research scientist, right? Or data scientists, you can take averages, right? And you can find out the median and you can get the counts. You can run some basic stuff here and turn those into charts and bar charts, pie charts and all of that. And so you can create a pretty like basic, but also impressive research report just from that. So yeah, what I like to do is there are going to be stats that kind of surface to the top. You can quickly, like, you know, within the next few weeks, turn that into a a newsletter or just a follow-up email of sorts of saying like, hey, thanks for taking the quiz. You know, we had 500, 500 people that meet X, Y, and Z criteria take it. And this is what we found. Like this is current, you know, as of this year, as of this month. And so that's the, that's the data that they can't get anywhere else. So you can share like, hey, here's like the most, the five most interesting data points that we got from this. And that can just turn into a newsletter in and of itself and can be kind of like the follow-up thank you for taking this. And then you can add all those people to a list of people that, you know, may be willing to take a survey later, take a quiz later. And then you take all that, you can turn that into an industry report. You can use that to upgrade the quiz and like the grading process for next year, right? You're like, based on our annual report last year, this is how everything stacked up. Here's the norm, right? Here's the updated norm that's based on our primary research. So you can update that for your next quiz if you're going to do this as like a, an annual thing. And so basically, to sum this up, why, why are quizzes, or at least a quiz format, better than a standard survey? In some cases, it's because of that flywheel effect. Like now you're using community and survey in a quiz format. So you're adding a why now, and you're kind of taking away some of the friction, I think, that exists with a survey and it's, it creates a little bit of a flywheel effect. So you can see like how you could use those inputs to fuel the next one, to make the next one better. And in short, it's basically a survey with a better offer, right? You get something at the end. You get that instant gratification of here's your grade, right? Here's how you stack up. So instead of having to go through, look at the benchmarks, Think about how that relates to to me. Do a bunch of reading. Like I just get the instant gratification of, okay, yeah, I score a C among companies of my size, right? All right, so that's level four. Level five, and this is the holy grail, I think, of research content, again, as it relates to B2B SaaS, is product data. Product data research, I guess you could say. Product data analysis, right? So I think Gong was one of the first ones to do this really well in that they analyzed calls. They would have 
impressive sample size numbers from all of their customers. And it wasn't one-to-one of each customer is N equals one, right? It was each customer has dozens, hundreds of sales calls, right? So now we're able to analyze all of those sales calls across several customers. And then as your company grows, you know, you grow that customer base and grow the number of calls that that customer is taking. So hopefully they're growing with you. So they're able to take their product data, analyze it, pull out some of the insights, and then be seen as the industry experts in their field because of that, right? So that's kind of like the most premium content that you can get to because not only is the research something that you conducted, right? Something that no one else has access to, but other people can survey that kind of same cohort of people, right? Like other other companies, your competitors have ways of basically running those same plays of a research report, right? Or even of a quiz. And maybe they'll even be able to put together a similar community. But no one else can probably replicate your product data and and to be able to set your product up in a way where you can be tracking and pulling like the right data from it does a lot of times like require an investment in a data team or in content specifically, right? And so it kind of shows that you are serious about content marketing and about data in a way that like your competitors are more unlikely to do. Like they're more unlikely to do all the steps necessary to really crush this strategy, right? And so, so this can be a huge advantage, not only for your content team, but for your product team as well. And for your customer marketing, like it really feeds all parts of marketing and sales if you go through it. So on the product marketing side, if you're pulling product data, right, you're able to kind of just like show off the capabilities basically of the product, especially if you're like an analytics type tool, right? You're like, the value I'm delivering to you are these, are these analytics and look at the other types of data and like types of research that we're able to get across the board on a macro level. So that's kind of what we do at Peer Signal to bring things full circle. And this first question that I was that I was asked in this interview the other day is we do these research reports on kind of a macro level of hey, like here's who's still growing. Like here's what B2B companies are still growing. And within that, like which industries are seeing the most growth. And so so we're able to kind of like do that on a macro level. It's interesting for for anyone that works in in tech. It's interesting for our customers and it's interesting for people within those specific sectors of like, oh yeah, we're totally, we're seeing this exact same thing in this sectors, which gives us credibility or to the people that sell into those sectors, right? It's like, Oh, that yeah, AI is is growing this much, right? Healthcare tech is growing this much. I'm trying to like find a, a new sector that has a budget 
that also, you know, invests heavily in the thing that I solve. And so now they understand, oh, you might be able to help me like with my ICP, you might be able to help me with my account lists, right? And that's exactly what Keyplay does. And so it's easy to kind of like understand the value of the the product by showing rather than telling. So I think research content, especially if it can come directly from your product data, is just a great way of like showing off the value, showing off the types of, okay, there goes my next, my next banner just fell off my wall. So I'm going to have to do some redecorating after this. But point is that, yeah, if you can show rather than tell people the value of your product in a context that makes sense for them, that's interesting in and of itself, right? Just like it makes for good content. It doesn't feel like product marketing. It doesn't feel like a pitch because it isn't. It's just pulling out the insights from all of this data that you have in your product, right? And even for things like notes apps, right? You might be thinking like, well, I'm, I'm not on analytics tools. Even something like a notes or like email tool can dig through and find patterns in the way that people do things, right? Like my friend uh, Hiba at, uh, let's see, it was formerly Hypercontext and they changed the name. Now she's at copy.ai. But one thing that they did at Hypercontext was to give updates on which questions were the most popular to ask within the app, right? And so if there are, if there's something like that, right, where there's different maybe templates or something, you can say like, here are the top used templates within Miro, right? Here are the top most commonly used questions in one-on-ones if you're a meetings tool. So there's always going to be patterns and people always want to simplify how to get started. So this can act as like product onboarding in a way to right? It gives context to the product of, oh, this is how someone would use this, right? Like this is how you'd get started with it, which breaks down the friction of signing up for a product and getting started with a product, right? In a non-pushy and salesy way. And then it also obviously helps with, with content objectives and that you're just, you're giving people something worth reading and something that will build your credibility as a company and something that uh, is useful to you for all the the reasons that I mentioned on the product side, but is ultimately just good content, right? It's answering the questions that people have and in a fairly objective way, right? You're You're using data to tell your side of the story ultimately. So those are the five for me. I'll sort of just run through it again, round up research, and then surveys for uh, an industry style report. And then there's number three is like community plus survey, right? Or community led research reports. And number four is community plus quiz, right? So now we're replacing survey with quiz here. And it's kind of a community-led, gamified research report, right? So it's kind of upgrading the format that that you'd use to make research more appealing to the people that would be participating and turning essentially a research report into a flywheel. 
And number five is products-led research, basically, right? It's starting with your own product data. And again, as you get more, more customers, this will be more viable for you, right? You'll just have enough data to have like a legitimate sample size for you to use those for research reports. I think at the beginning, you can maybe use that data as like a, a talking point of like, hey, this match is actually what we're, what we've seen within our product too, just not at the same scale. So those are the five. I would love to hear how you think about research content, what you think about these five levels, and just what's been the most successful for you uh, as you've tried to explore research content. And then lastly, just another quick plug, you can check out Aaron Bossa's interview with me. It was one of the first ones. First ones that I did, so you might have to scroll back a little bit. But she goes, she goes deep on industry reports and how to stand those up and what resources you really need, what people that you need to make that strategy work, because that'll really fuel, you know, two through four, really two through five in a way. So highly recommend that. Let me know what you think. You can always send me a message through, through LinkedIn and uh, looking forward to hear, hearing from you. Thanks for listening to Content Logistics. This episode is produced by Motion, a done-for-you B2B podcasting agency for busy marketers. If you liked what you heard, please follow the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts.